Um, I actually spoke at Supper Club a couple years ago when we were back at the, up in the Woodlands at the, the Senior Center. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I basically just kind of did a timeline of my story. And, and my son was there. David was there. Hey, Dave, what's up? How you doing? And um, I went too long. I think I was like 45 minutes or something like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And so what I did to prepare for this one, I have a lot of good content. I actually have a Bible verse in here too, <laughs> which I didn't have last time. So I actually have some scripture, but I'm going to have to read it and probably put on my glasses. So somebody's going to have to help me. So I didn't want to take out any content, but I was practicing this and I was running a little bit long. So before, I drank three Red Bulls and two shots of espresso, so I'm just going to speed it up a little bit. So I talk a little bit fast. Please bear with me. Paul asked me to do this. Uh, it's been a couple months now to do this. And uh, <laughs> she already told you the story, right? So most of you guys have probably heard this story. She says, Chris, I want you to speak on Father's Day, and I want you to ask God or pray about it before you say no. And I, said, I, and I said, I just spoke to God, and he said no. And the reason that I was reluctant about doing it, because, number one, I, I feel super inadequate getting up here, because Brian Fenimore spoke last week. Oh, my gosh. This is a guy who's a professional speaker, right? No, I don't know about that. And then we have Bob and, and Paula, who do this all the time. So for me to do this, it's, uh, it's not in my forte. Last time I did this was a couple years ago. So I got help from Bob on getting organized, and then my wife helped me do the bullet points. And so I was hoping to come here early and practice. No, I was setting up chairs and bringing in food, so I didn't get to practice. So I'm going to do my best, try not to look at my notes, but I'm going to probably have to glance at them a little bit. All right? Um, today we're here to celebrate fathers. And how many fathers do we have here? Stepfathers, right? This message is for you. It's for mothers. It's for everybody. And I also want to include mothers who have had to step up. Maybe there's an a father abandoned the family, and a mom had to step and play both roles. That happens nowadays a lot, too. So this, is that, this message is for you guys. So I want to start off with something hopefully light, and hopefully I can get this thing to work. Ryan, is this going to work if I do this? All right, see? All right. Here we go. Let's see if this works. <laughs> this is going again. Going again. John, don't hit him towards the swing. Or Stella. <laughs> Good boy. Donnie Corey. What's you coming all this way just to see you for? Oh,
So how many of us want to be the hero, right? And I wish I could find something that was with kids older, but it's all little kids, right? Um, I want to talk about a couple things tonight. I want to talk about um, uh, my relationship with my earthly father, my dad, uh, my experience as a father and a stepfather, and then my uh, relationship with God the Father. And this is, uh, <laughs> I got a picture here from the 70s. I don't know if you can see that. That's my brother on the far left, my mom, my, my grandmother, your great-grandmother, um, my dad's mom. That's my dad, and that's me on the right right there. So we grew up in uh, uh, basically San Jose, California, you know, typical middle-class family. And, uh, you know, I actually had a pretty good upbringing. And I, I remember uh, as a kid being probably 12 and under doing stuff with my dad. I remember he was probably pretty good at it. He, I played baseball, and he was an umpire. And, man, he, I used to hear him get lambasted by the parents. I mean, he just said, I'm not doing this anymore. He did it for a couple years. And we went camping and did a little bit of fishing and that kind of stuff. And then um, when I went into high school, let me see if I'm up for the next one. When I went into high school, <laughs> tall, skinny kids right there, my brother on the left, my dad, and that's me on the right. And I'm probably 14, maybe 15. My brother is, he's a big dude, he's 6'4". He's like Aaron and David's size. He's a big kid. Um, things started to change in my family. Uh, and maybe it happened before. I'm not sure if this happened before, but my, my, we started noticing my dad drinking. He drank a lot. And he would either come home lit. You could tell he'd been drinking. Um, he, would, he was self-employed. He had his own business. And he would go to this place in San Jose, downtown San Jose, called Manny's Cellar. And we hated that place because he'd go there and he was friends with everybody and it's a bunch of drinking buddy type things. And then he'd come home and drink probably four or five more scotch and waters. And he was just, he was gone. And so there wasn't much conversation in my family. My dad um, was kind of passive aggressive. He didn't say much to us. He would give us just this very disappointing and disapproval look all the time. My mom really mothered us and was really a great parent. My dad was too when he wasn't drinking. So he was super critical, and, and he still is, but not as much as he used to be. He doesn't drink anymore. But it's still, it's in his nature. Um, and I actually have adopted a lot of that, and my kids have seen it, and I've worked really hard with God to try to get rid of that. But that's, that's what it was like growing up. Um, so my view of God the Father came from my father, right? We grew up Catholic, but not hardcore Catholic. We kind of went to church whenever my dad felt like it. But I went through catechism, I was confirmed, still had no clue who God was. I really, I look back and I go, I don't even remember going through it. I don't remember a thing. But I got confirmed, right? Because it was a thing you did. 
Um, but my view of God, I believe that there was a God. I knew there was a God. I, I, there was no question about that. But I believe that he was angry, distant, um, waiting for me to do something wrong and then to punish me, right? I don't know if anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, grew up like that, right? And that's, that's a messed up view of God. And we know that that's not God because God is a good, good father, right? He really is. So that's how I grew up. And um, my brother went one way out of high school. He was in a rock band called Relic, which is killer spelled backwards. <laughs> they played all the cool music, man, let me tell you. It, they, they played all the good stuff. Um, lately, I've been listening to Blue, Blue Oyster Cult. I know I'm going to get, you know, lightning bolt because I'm listening to Blue Oyster Cult. Because they used to they play that, that song, Godzilla. Go, go, Godzilla. Been, and then they played uh, Burning For You. I love those songs. I've been cranking those on my, uh, on my uh, stereo in my car. So we both really went different directions. And we grew up kind of in a crappy uh, situation. And, you know, come to find out later, you know, my grandfather, my mom's dad, took interest in me, and they didn't live very close. And he's the one who got me into hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff. And later on, after he passed away, <laughs> my mom used to go, yeah, he was a stinker. Well, <laughs> I didn't know this, but he was a big boozer when I was younger, too, womanizer, and pretty violent towards my grandmother. In fact, both my grandfathers were. I found that out. They used to hit their wives. In fact, my grandmother was missing one of her fingers. He got so angry, and she was getting out of the car, he slammed the car and took her finger off. I never heard the story until after he passed away, because my mom wanted us to have this ideal picture of Papa. And he was awesome, he really was. He really, I mean, he was a big influence in my life, but nobody in my family went to church. There were no Christians. And so my view of God was my father, right? Okay, look at my notes, sorry. I want to talk about, um, and Bob helped me with this, and we've, we've learned this kind of in CR and other stuff. You got, anybody here hear the father wound? Right? And a lot of us have that father wound. Um, and I want to go over some stuff. I actually looked it up on the Internet. <laughs> I think it was from Focus on the Family or something like that. Uh, the father wound is, and this is one definition, is the absence of love and acceptance from our father or father figure. Um, it can be caused by absence, which, you know, divorce, separation, death, abuse, uh, mental, physical, sexual, spiritual, control, oppressive domination. Didn't that just sound horrible? I kept getting that word wrong, but I'm like, that's terrible. And withholding, withholding love, blessings, and affirmation. And I don't know about you guys, but you know the five love languages? My number one is off the chart, and it's words of affirmation. And I think a lot of guys have that because we didn't get it when we were younger. And... To our fathers or father figures, um, a lot of them didn't have good fathers growing up either, right? They didn't have good fathers. And I'll tell you a little bit about how my dad grew up. And I was so angry with my father, when, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later, but when I became a father, I'm like, this isn't that hard. Actually, it really is. <laughs> but I thought, this isn't that hard, you know? What do you just, you know, hang out with your kids, you go to the baseball games, and you, you have a conversation with them? You don't sit around and drink and and give him the evil eye all the time, because that's how it was. But being a father's tough. Being a stepfather's, being a father figure's tough. It really is. And if you don't have the right model, which I didn't have, and I had the wrong view of God, well, guess what? I had a really warped view of God, and I wasn't able to pass on a lot of things that God would have passed on to me. 
like love, acceptance, grace, and mercy, all those things that you need to be a good person, to be a good spouse, especially be a good father. Um, I got another picture coming up here. So, my brother went one way, and I, my brother and I are super close. I and mean, I talk to my brother all the time. My brother got saved back in 1999. He doesn't drink anymore. He doesn't do drugs. He went on to go uh, lead worship at a pretty large Calvary um, chapel in San Jose. In fact, I remember I was sharing with him all the time. He was living in San Jose. I was living here. And he had just gone through AA. And we started talking about God a lot. And I remember I was on the phone with him. This is... I must have had a phone. This was like 99 or 2000. I'm pretty sure I, had, I was coming back from a customer's place in Westminster. I'll never forget this. And I'm talking to him. He goes, where do I go to church? And I'm, I couldn't remember any churches because I didn't go to church. I went to the Catholic church, St. Christopher's. That's what my name is. So, right, Tom? <laughs> Tom knows about the Catholic stuff. So um, I said, there's a Calvary chapel on Almaden Parkway. He goes, I know where that is. So he's, I'm on the phone with him. He says, okay. He says, I'm pulling in right now. He says, I got to go. I said, why? He says, I'm knocking on the door, and some guy's coming to answer the door. And he walked in, and that was it. He went to church there. He went on to lead worship, and it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good side. Now he's at a Calvary Chapel in North Carolina leading worship. My brother, I mean, I'm so happy. You know what? My mom saved. I got saved. My dad now has a different view of God. He still goes to Mass. But he, and I'll talk more about that later, but it's, it's pretty awesome. So my, my brother went one way, I went the other way. I got, um, I worked after high school. I didn't, I wasn't really into school. School was not a, a value of our family. Nobody went to college. I'm the only one out of all my cousins to go to college and get a college degree. I forced myself to go. I said, I'm going to go figure this out. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, so I took, you know, a year or two off, and I was going to night school, and I ended up, I said, you know what? I was working at a sporting goods store. I said, I'm going to go to Alaska. I knew one guy guy I worked with this is hunting and fishing store. I sold guns when I was 18 years old. Handguns. You can't even do that anymore, can you? So I'm selling <laughs> handguns at 18 years old, selling pistols and revolvers and all the cool guns Ed and I talk about. Um, all those cool Smith and Wessons, man. They were awesome. So I get a job in Alaska as a guide. That's me in 1986. And I was, a, uh, I was there in the spring and the summer of 85 and 86, and it was the best, one of the best experiences of my life. And I said, this is it. I got, you know, I, I was independent. I lived in a cabin. When I first got there in March of 85, I helped build a lodge. No idea what I was doing. I was the youngest guy there. I was, I think I was 21 maybe, and it was freezing. And it was, this is March. No, this is early May of 1985. And they gave me this big, huge bar, and I had to bust, and it's freezing. I'm wearing a T-shirt, and it's like 40 degrees, and I had to bust open these big holes so they could put these big pillars in there to build these cabins. That's all I did. And I didn't need to work out, man. My shoulders and arms got huge just from that. Big, tall, skinny guy with these big old arms, and I think that's where it came from. So I, uh, uh, I get back from Alaska, and I really decide I'm going to go to school. Um, I got into working out. I said, I'm going to get, and I was a big, tall, skinny kid. I'm going to work out, and I'm going I'm to look good. I went to school, and I did real well in school. Um, I got involved in DECA and became president of the largest chapter in California. I went on to Chico State. Um, vice president of my business fraternity. Um, and I, got, I won a lot of awards. I was in a lot of competitions, and I said, I'm going to master this stuff. I'm going to become popular, and I'm going to become good with people, and that's how I'm going to deal with this stuff. But I still had this emptiness inside of me. None of this stuff worked. And I still had the same view of God. I didn't think about God. God I mean, he wasn't even in my life. I didn't go to church. God was not in my life at all. 
Um, so after college, I finally graduated. I was on the 10-year plan. <laughs> it took me 10 years to get my degree because I was going to night school and I was going to two different schools. I was working. I was living on my own. It was, it was hard, but I ended up doing it. And I, I don't know what my GPA was, 2.6 or something like that. I mean, I just barely made it, but I was happy. Got my degree in business with an emphasis in marketing. I liked marketing because there was less math. I still had to do all the business stuff. So I'd take finance, accounting, economics, calculus, all that stuff. I hated it. But in marketing, I got to get up and give presentations. And the other students were freaked out. And I was a little bit older. They were freaked out to do it. So I'd get up there and I would just nail it. And so I would get A's in all these marketing classes. And I don't, I don't even think I prepared. I think I just kind of got up and then just started talking. Because my delivery was so good, I got all these great awards. And they gave me good grades. But when I did the test, I didn't study. So, you know, that wasn't good. So after school, did a couple different jobs. Worked at household finance for a while because I wanted to get into mortgage and real estate business. That was a horrible job. Ended up going on to Hewlett Packard. Um, and that's where I met my good buddy Jeff Carlson back in 1992, right? And Jeff's my best friend. Jeff and I have some of the best conversations. If you guys ever hear me going ice fishing, it's because of that guy right there. He is the ice fishing master. He has all the equipment too. I just gotta bring my fishing rod in my chair. That's it, right? So, um, and we have some deep conversations. Jeff has seen me angry. He's seen me crying. He's seen me all the stuff I've gone through. And he is, he's an awesome father. He has three daughters. He's an awesome father. And he has been consistent and mature since I've known him. I started off pretty immature. And I think I've matured a little bit. I hope I continue to mature. And it's only because of God. So um, in 1992, I worked for Hewlett Packard, and um, I met a woman there, my first marriage, David's mom, Cheryl. And she had two daughters. And when I met her, they were five and seven, girls. I don't know anything about girls. We ended up getting married in 1994, and I was trying to find a picture. Oh, I forgot this. This is the most important part. See, I should look at my notes. In, in, in 1992, my good friend Phil Stark, who worked at Hewlett Packard, kept sharing God with me. And uh, Los Gatos Christian Church. Jeff knows where that is, right? And uh, I ended up getting saved. And this is Phil, who led me to the Lord, baptizing me. That's in September of 1992. That's me coming right out of the water right there. But becoming a Christian didn't really change my view of God. I was Christian. I was saved. I really didn't know what to do. And I wasn't hearing that message um, maybe I was hearing maybe I couldn't receive it. I don't know what it was. Maybe I couldn't receive it about a good, good father. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. But I really struggled. I still struggle with God. I, now I'm like I believe in God. In fact, right after I got baptized and saved, and I got baptized like a week after I got saved. I'm like, you've got to get baptized. Right? So I got baptized. Um, I remember going home, and things with my dad still weren't great. And I was 29 when this happened. 29 and a half. Not 28 and a half. 29 and a half when I got, got married in 1994. I'm going to talk about JR in a minute. JR was a big influence on my life, I'll tell you that. Got married in 1994 um, to Cheryl. And, oh, I went home. I, I was telling Paul this. And I forgot about this until today. Went home and I told my parents, I just accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm now a Christian. My dad looked at me, cocktail in his hand. He says, your grandmother is rolling over in her grave right now. That's exactly what he said to me. All the air went out of me. I was like this. Ah, oh, I was devastated. Because I wanted so much to get 
uh, affirmation, love from my dad. He didn't give it to me. And I'll talk about my father in a second. Things with my dad are good now. They're great. He still has a lot of these things, issues. We still have some issues with the other, but my dad's awesome. And uh, I'm going to talk about in a minute how Bob helped me get through that. Bob Holloway got me, helped me get through that. So, and I'm getting married in 1994. This is the only picture I can find. And this is Amanda, who's one years old, and that's Christina, who I believe is 10 or 11, and that's Jennifer, who is probably that time, probably about eight. They were nine and seven, and I'm still pretty dang close to them, especially Christina. Christina is married to Adam. She met her husband. She was 14 years old. They got married when they were 19 years old. He's a pastor in Australia. In fact, he officiated Amanda's wedding. She got married in October. They flew out from Australia. It's pretty good. And Christina and Jennifer were great big sisters to David and Amanda. They were fantastic. And they're awesome moms. Now, Christina has five kids. And she's getting ready to be, turn 35. Jen has two kids and number three on the way. And Jen just turned 32. And we had a great reunion with them at, the, at a man's wedding. I hadn't seen them in, in years. And Christina, obviously, living in Australia. Um, so I'm immediately a step-parent. And I'm thinking, this isn't that hard, right? I didn't just talk about that a minute ago. You just got to talk to them and got to do stuff with them and all that stuff. Well, guess what? I failed miserably. All of those things that um, I learned from my dad, I defaulted to. I, the, my biggest issue, now, I was, I was involved. My dad was never involved, really. I was involved. They played softball and soccer, and I really tried to be involved with, like, with girls. I don't know anything about girls. And then they would get all emotional and stuff. Jeff knows about this, right, Jeff? Anybody who has girls knows about this stuff. And um, I struggled. I think I did okay, but I did the best I could at the time. But I look back, and it just it saddens me. I'm like, man, I hope I didn't screw them up too much. <laughs> you know what? I hope they don't hate me. Um, I, I really did struggle. And, and one of the big things was I, I didn't know how to offer the Father's love like God offers us. I wasn't able to show them grace and mercy and the things that they needed so much, the things that I had never received. I had never seen that model, ever. I don't remember. My mom kind of did, but it wasn't from a place, it was a place of, uh, oh, what's that word? She's over, you know my mom. Overprotective? Yeah, overprotective, all that kind of stuff. She, she was overprotective because of my dad. She was trying to make up for for what my dad, and, and it wasn't coming from a place of God. And so I really struggled with, um, with that being a step-parent. It was really hard. But in 96, Amanda was born on the right, and there's David right there. That kid's a beast now. <laughs> yeah, we were out, I think we were out looking for uh, Christmas trees or something like that, Christmas time. So that's them right there, and they were great. Um, they were amazing sisters to, um, to Amanda and David. They were great. Um, all right. So what happened, um, I was still feeling this emptiness inside of me, and I got into the mortgage business. I left Hewlett Packard. I couldn't wait to leave the corporate life. And I got into the mortgage business. I don't think I made any money the first six months. Um, it, it was real. I had to get a second mortgage on the house. I said, I'm going to make this happen. And I ended up doing okay. It was, you know, straight commission. I didn't have any salary. I started this in 96, and I started doing pretty good. In 99, I started my own business. I left mortgage company I worked for and uh, started my own business. 
and started doing pretty good. Brought on a business partner, and we grew our company. We had 50, 60 employees. We had a couple offices. We were doing really, really well. And I was trying to fill that, that hole that was inside me, that father wound, with money and success. And I made a lot of money. We did well. So we bought a big house. I had, we had the cool car. I had the cool car. Well, I had a BMW. I want, a BMW was successful. I had a BMW. You know, I had a really nice uh, Denali. I had boat. I had a Harley. I had three motorcycles. David had a... David, how many motorcycles do you have? Two or three motorcycles? You know, and I was filling everything up with these toys and these things. And it just didn't work. Well, what happened after that? You guys remember what happened in 2007? Real estate crash. That all went away. And what I was doing, because I didn't know it was going to be as big as it was. I don't think any of us did, right? I'm throwing money at more advertising. I'm throwing more money at everything. Not knowing that the market had fell off a cliff and had to move out of the big house, had to move into a smaller big house. I mean, it was still a nice house. Got rid of the cars, got rid of the motorcycles, got rid of the boat. I think the boat got repossessed, probably. I don't know what happened with the boat. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just what happened, right? And I was one, one of the lowest points of my life. I felt I let everybody down, let my family down. I, I told Cheryl, I says, man, I'm, I need some help. You gotta, I, I, need, I need you to work. I can't do this on my own. And I was still doing okay. I mean, I was working crazy hours all the time. And I missed a lot of the kids growing up. Um, they, don't, they probably don't remember because they were little. But, I mean, I was, I was coming home at 9 o'clock at night. I was working Saturdays. And some of you guys have done that. I was a workaholic. And that was what I thought success was. Um, Cheryl's dad, um, very successful guy. And, and I looked up to him. And I still do. He's a, he's a hard worker. He really provides for his family. I'm like, that's what you do. As a good father, you provide for your family. You make a lot of money, have lots of nice things, so they don't have to want, right? Well, now we're wanting. We're wanting, right? Because, I mean, I got to watch what we spend on groceries, can't go out as much. We really had to budget. And that was hard when you basically got an open checkbook. That was real hard. Um, there is me with a man and David. I don't know, David, what are you, about four or five, maybe, or so? And Amanda, and I was, pro they probably, they used to come and meet me. I would take dinner off for work, and then I'd go back to work. That's kind of what happened. Uh, the second thing that happened is went through divorce in 2010, and that was the second hardest thing that ever happened to me. That was really hard. Um, and I was pretty messed up for probably a year or two or ten. I was messed up for a while, but I tell you what, if it wasn't the real estate crash that made me turn to God, it was a divorce that, that made me turn to God. Because I remember verbally yelling out to him, I go, where are you? <laughs> Why are you allowing this to happen? Are you making this happen? Now I know God doesn't make that happen, right? But I turned to God. And I didn't get a lot of answers, to be quite frank. But he wanted me to turn to him, and I did. And I still struggled and struggled. And, you know, looking back, I don't know if you guys ever see that movie Signs with Mel Gibson, where the aliens come. You remember the whole movie where he looks back and all these things that he thought were weird and terrible point to this one thing. It saved them from the alien attack. Swing away, Meryl, swing away, if you guys remember that. And now I can look back and go, oh, my gosh, he was with me the whole way. He was with me the whole way, and I'm so grateful. And I had a lot of good friends back then. Jeff was... <laughs> Jeff was probably one of my best friends. Um, I, uh, I talked to him, and I talked to him a lot. 
he really helped me through a lot of stuff. While we're fishing and doing stuff, and I apologize now for burdening you on a lot of that stuff, uh, but he was always my consistent friend, a true Christian, a great father, and I learned a lot from Jeff. Um, now, this is a man and David. This isn't taken too long ago. Um, we were out to dinner for something, weren't we? This is right before Amanda got married? Yeah, so this is a recent picture. And I would say going through the divorce is probably one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Didn't think about it when I was going through it. And maybe you're going through something really tough right now too. Let me tell you, something good's going to come out of it. Something's good. I don't know what's going to come out of it, but something's good. And it took a long time. It took, it took a long time. But I focused on, I said, I'm going to be a good dad. Because they spent most of the time with their mom. I had them Wednesdays and every other weekend. So when I saw him, let's go do stuff. Let's hang out. And I still struggled. But I was learning how to be the good, good father. I was learning because God was now starting to mold me into being that father that I always wanted to be that I never knew how to be. And I hope, like I said, I hope I didn't screw up my kids too much, but I really hope that all my baggage from all those things, real estate crash, divorce, and just me feeling inadequate didn't screw up my kids too much. So I want them to look back down the road, maybe when I'm gone, they go, man, my dad was awesome. He was there for me. He was a great father. He was a good father. That's right. That's one of my greatest hopes. It's all the kids, stepkids, everybody, to go, man, he was great. I do that rocking chair thing where you, I, I'm like an old man. I'm sitting in the rocking chair, and I'm thinking back on my life. And I don't care about the money. Well, I still want to make money, but it's not my idol. <laughs> not my idol, but I still, want, I still want to do financially. And for your kids to remember you young, probably. Yeah, and I always say this to, I always say this to him because my dad didn't have a good relationship with him. I, I only remember my dad now. Is he's, he's turning 81 next week. And it's hard for me in my mind to go back and think of him as a young man. So one of my greatest fears, I tell my kids all the time, I go, I want you to remember me as a young man. Now, lucky we have video, we have um, pictures, we have all things we didn't really have back then. So I, I really want that. I don't want them, them to remember me when I'm, hey, how you guys doing? I don't want to be remembered that way. And I'm kind of like that right now anyway, with all my medical <laughs> stuff. Jeez. Well, something awesome happened to me uh, a couple years after my divorce. Uh, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. I met this person right here. That picture was actually taken up in, uh, in Arkansas in 2016. I didn't like a lot of pictures from before. That was a good picture of us. That was at uh, where, where her son David was going to school. He was just graduating from uh, John Brown University. And uh, if you guys know Paula, she likes to do things that I never liked to do or I never really was exposed to. Remember Halloween? You guys ever see Paula on Halloween? She loves to dress up on Halloween. So the first Halloween, we're pirates. The second Halloween, were we bikers? Bikers. The third Halloween, we were Vikings. And then the last Halloween, we got dressed up. Frankenstein's monster and the Bride of Frankenstein. And I, didn't I win some contests that night? She did, she did my, that's, like a, uh, that's not really my forehead, guys, just so you know. She, but she did all that kind of stuff. And I won some, I won the bag. Oh, who is it? Ben and Mimi's house. It was at your house, remember? Yeah, that was a long time ago. Wasn't it? It was like four years ago? 
We haven't done a, a dress-up Halloween in a little while. I don't know. Anyway, um, meeting Paula completely, and her kids, amazing kids. You know, you hear of somebody getting remarried and, and the stepkids, you're like, oh boy, these are great kids. She raised them right, and she did a lot of it by herself. And she is an awesome mom. They went to church. If you guys know Emma, I don't know anybody more on fire for God than Emma right here, right? She, she, did, she did a good job as a mom, especially as a single mom. She did a great job. Um, the things I learned from Paul that I never had experienced um, from my own family, she modeled grace and mercy. And I used to see her around people, I'm like, what the heck is that? I was dumbfounded. And she showed it to me when I was being a jerk. Because I was a jerk a lot, right? I still had all this baggage and stuff like that. My anger would pop up or something would happen. And she would continue to show me grace. She never gave me the, the evil eye. She never made me feel, ever made me feel inadequate. She still does it, ever. She knows I need words of affirmation, and she does it all the time. She is an amazing woman, an amazing wife, and she changed my life, right? Because she taught me what it was like to know God, to really, really, really know God. And she said, well, if you're going to date me, you're going to go to my church. I was going to JFC up in, uh, by myself, wasn't involved in anything. I would just go to church, Jubilee Fellowship up in Lone Tree, um, every Sunday, she's going to go to my church, and she says, I, I work at the Rock Church. I went, the Rock Church? Man, they got some weirdos there. I don't know if I want to go there. <laughs> well, guess what? I fell in love with the church, and I want to give credit, like I mentioned earlier, to Pastor JR. JR, you guys know JR, would always preach the message of God's heart, and he was so good at it, and I learned so much from Pastor JR. That's why a lot of people went to that church and go to that church, is because of JR's how he saw God and how he let us know how he saw God, how we should see God. And it was just a different way of seeing God, that God loves you and he's for you. He's not condemning you. Now, if you go off the path, you're going to suffer the consequences, right? And God's going to be like, oh, okay, go ahead. You can go ahead and do that. But if you turn over this way, guess what? I'm going to love you and I'm never going to let you go. And that's what I learned because of Paula and Pastor JR. And then somebody else, too. There's somebody in this room that models the Father's heart, and that's Pastor Bob. I met with Pastor Bob. I know Bob. I know you hate it. I don't want me to point you out. I'm not going to get you to have it come up here and speak, okay? <laughs> but I ended up going through his CR class, Celebrate Recovery class, to deal with some of these issues I had as, you know, and stuff. And then he came to my office a couple times, and we went through this timeline. What was that called we did? Timeline. The timeline, okay. <laughs> about about when were you born and where are you at right now and put the positive things that happen up here and the negative things down here and we dealt with all those issues that I had with my father and I remember I go you're not going to make me cry I'm not going to cry well guess what I was bawling like a baby right I was dealing with these things and it really changed how I viewed my father and I looked at my dad with love and compassion and I have nothing but love and compassion for my dad and if it wasn't for Bob and Paula for modeling something I had never seen before, that's how I was able to forgive my dad. And my dad stopped. My dad hasn't drank in years. And I have a pretty good relationship with my dad. He still has some, I mean, he said some things. He said some stuff, right? Right, we're getting ready to go on our honeymoon. He said, looks like you put on some weight, Chris. 
They said, make sure you wear your sunscreen because, you know, you're a waterman and you're German and you don't get tan. If you guys know how tan I get, I get super tan, right? But he would say stuff like that. And Paul's through this stuff. I'm like, what does he say that story? He, one time he said to me, he goes, you're really, truly introverted, Chris, and I think you just force yourself to be extroverted. Well, anybody who knows me, I'm like, I am the furthest thing from introverted. So Bob helped me work through some of these, um, some of these things. Uh, this is it right here. This is when we got married. And you guys recognize that guy in the middle? There he is right there. It's, you know, it's the, it's the camera angle. It's the camera angle, Bob. Um, now, here's all of us right here. This is, two, this is May of 2016. We got David, this guy right here on the far left. We got David Clodfelder next. We have Christian, me, Paula, Emma, and then my daughter, Amanda. And that was just a, that was an amazing ceremony. It was good. I am truly blessed. Um, and I hope I haven't screwed up these guys very much with some of my issues and stuff like that. But I'm learning to work with them. I have really learned so much from pursuing God. I, you know, I, I led some men's group at the Rock Church. You know, some of you guys were in that church, and I didn't know what I was doing. I said, I got to do something. Actually, Paula prompted me to do it. She said, you probably should do this. I'm like, okay. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. Right? There's a picture right there, right before I walked down the aisle. Sorry. Ah. That's me and my dad. Ah. You know, I don't see him very often. I see him. They live in California. But um, my dad and I hug every time we see each other. God, I love that guy. I think we're making, I think I'm making up for lost time with him. I wish I could see him more. And I feel like I um, almost parent him sometimes with some of his views and thoughts and stuff like that. And I just show him nothing but grace and mercy. I love my dad. I love my, my parents are awesome parents. If, you know my parents. They're awesome. They're great people. Um, my mom is, <laughs> my, the, the Calvary Church that my little dinky Calvary Church my brother was going to in Orangevale in Sacramento. You know about Orangevale, right, Carol? Um, my mom started going there to support my brother. Well, guess what? He's been in North Carolina for, what, three years now? She still goes. She bakes cookies. She goes to all of their events. She hooks up. She connects with all these ladies. It's pretty awesome. So here's my mom. She's listening to the message. My mom never, we went to, we went to Catholic church. My mom never went because her parents were Baptist, and she wouldn't uh, be disrespectful to them by walking into a Catholic church. So she, the only time she'd go to um, uh, church with us was Christmas and Easter. Any other time, she wouldn't go. She thought I was disrespectful to my grandparents, who never went to church either, but they called themselves Baptist. God, man. Talk about some major dysfunction there, huh? All right. So in 2016, no, sorry, 2018, my daughter Amanda got married, that little blonde girl. And this is us. Um, I think this is either right after she walked down the aisle. It was a fantastic wedding. A bunch of you guys were there. It was, it was a fantastic wedding. Um, there is her husband, Brody. They met in a high school. He went to, they went to rival high schools, and they dated all the way through college, even though he went to separate colleges, which is amazing. He lived in Las Vegas, and uh, he's a great guy. And they're involved in a church, and uh, they're doing, doing great. They're living, I just saw him a couple weeks ago out in Vegas. He is a sweetest guy. He is so perfect for my daughter, Amanda. Because if you know my, man, my daughter, Amanda, she's a lot like me, and especially how I was. She is intense. Right, David? David's going like this. Yeah. She is a driver. She is motivated. 
She can be as sweet as can be, but man, she could be tough. And he is the sweetest, nicest guy. Um, so I give him a lot of advice on how to handle her. All right? This is, this is the, right before the wedding, and this is Jen, who was seven. We got married on the far left. She's mar I told you she's married with two kids. Obviously, Paula, Amanda, me. There's Christina in Australia, and there's David, who we all call Chuck. Right? He had just gotten off work. This is one of my favorite pictures right here. This is Emma's graduation at Red Rocks. This shows some personalities of some of the kids, right? There they are, there they are right there. Man, I love these guys. In fact, David, I mean, this tells you about the Claude Felder kids, Paula's kids. They're all pretty high achievers. David's going to Denver Seminary. Emma's going to Bethel, right? And Christian's going on to be a doctor. I mean, these kids have done really well. She's been a great mom to them. And I want to give a lot of credit to Paula for being a great mom. All right, I look at my notes. All right, this is my dad now. I was just out to visit them recently. I, I went out in uh, January. They're getting older, and I try to get out there a couple times a year if I can. He hates traveling. He hates flying on a plane. In fact, I got to give him like four Xanax to get on a plane. I am dead serious. I don't know how he gets off the plane because he's a big dude. Um, but I, show I have nothing but love for my dad. You know, uh, I was talking to my brother. We talk a lot about our dad issues, and this is a true story. My dad had almost no relation with his father. He was raised by his mother. His parents separated when he was very young. He had almost no relationship with his father. His father was a uh, submarine mechanic. Uh, yeah, no, he was a, uh, yeah, he was submarine mechanic during World War II in Mare Island, which is a submarine base in uh, Vallejo, California. They separated when he was very young, and because she's Catholic, they didn't get divorced. They just separated, never remarried. He hardly ever saw his dad. He was raised by his mom. He had almost no father figure. So he was doing better than his dad. He was at least present, and he stayed married to my mom. So I look at that now, and I go, wow. You know what, Dad? You actually did pretty good, right? But I remember this. When my grandfather, when his dad died, his dad, I mean, back then, I mean, he had emphysema from all of the asbestos. He was a sick guy. He had diabetes. And I think he died. My dad was probably 33, 34 years old. And my dad, dad really never show, showed emotion. And about two or three weeks after his dad died, you know, he's, he was, my dad was in his 30s, and his, his dad was like 75, but looked like he was 100 years old. He did not look good. He was a sick guy. And I remember hearing this wailing sound coming when I lived in San Jose, coming from the family room, and my dad was wailing. He was bawling. I mean, just, it was like a flood of tears. I had never seen him emotional. I never seen that after that, but he was, he had so much, I'm sure he had so much regret that he didn't know his father. And he only knew his father when his father was sick, and his father was sick most of his life. So I have a lot of compassion for my dad and what he went through. Um, I want to talk about, earlier I talked about the father wound. Um, that's it on those. I'll talk about the father wound. Um, there are four steps to addressing the father wound. Um, one is understanding the heart of God. The other is inviting Jesus into the wounds created by our birth father or a father figure. Um, the other is accepting the truth about oneself as a child of God and this is the biggie right here, is understanding the true heart of God. I think uh, earlier this year, I had a little bit of a scare. Both Paul and I did. I had some medical issues, and it got a little bit scary. And I think this year I grew more in my trust for God than ever in my life. And Paula knows how 
I did this. A lot of people would be freaked out over this. And I, I was covered by a lot of prayer from, and I mean, half the guys from the men's group are, are here right now, so I appreciate you guys. But I had, you know, medical scare, and uh, business was slow at the beginning of the year, and we had, you know, had a lot of reason to be freaked out. And I remember just going, God, I'm going to trust you for this no matter what, the, what happens, no matter what. If it's bad news and things are going to go this way, that's okay. I'm going to trust you fully. If it's good news, then praise God. And um, that changed my life. And, and we prayed about it all the time. And Paul, Paul knows. I, I wasn't screaming, freaking out. I wasn't, there was no big, big highs or no low lows. And when I got good news back from my doctor, I mean, one of my doctors said I had cancer, and I was going to have to have my prostate removed, and it was a big deal. And um, got a second opinion, and the other doctor says, I don't think you got prostate cancer. And I, had, I ended up having surgery, and biopsies came back negative. It's still stuff i got to watch for. And after I heard back from him, Paul, did you hear from the doctor? I go, yeah. Well, what do you say? He says, yeah, I don't have cancer. But I wasn't, like, screaming or anything. I was just like, God took care of me. I'm okay with this. Yeah. One of the... But during that time, and I'm going to wrap it up with this here in a second, with actually some scripture, Bob. All right? So I got scripture, but I got to read this. Um, I've heard this story. You guys have heard this story so many times. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? Right? And I never got it. And when I finally got it, I went, oh, my gosh. I go, why is it called the story of the prodigal son? It should be the good, good father. To me, it's all about the father, right? Now, you've heard the story, right? Wealthy, wealthy man has two sons. And one of the younger sons says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I'm out of here. I want to go party and hook up. That's basically what he said. And back then, from what I understand from the Bible scholars over here, that was almost a death sentence. Am I right? That was the most disrespectful thing you could say, is, Dad, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. Supposedly, you could... He could have, he, dad could have had him killed or something along those lines. It would have been bad, right? So guess what? Son takes off. The other son stays, the older son stays and hangs out with the dad, helps him out. So let me read this. Story of the wealthy father with two sons. The younger son rebels. Squanders it all. He's living, squanders it, it's gone. He's living with the pigs. And he's broke, he's got nothing. Now, let's pick this up in uh, Luke verse 17. When he, the younger son, came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. This is the best part right here. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He ran and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Man, when I, under, when I finally understood that, I went, oh. And I... I when I was writing this stuff, I was bawling the whole time, <laughs> the whole time, but especially from this. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, 
and put it on him. Bring a ring, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring a fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine who is dead is alive again. He was lost, but he was found. So they began to celebrate. And I, I, to me, that is the most life-changing scripture in the Bible for me. Because I actually understand it. I mean, there's so many. But this is Jesus telling the story. This is what the Father's like. And I always thought it was about the Son. And it is about the Son. And I'm not going to talk about the second Son or the first Son that much. But to me, this is about the Father. And this gives us the perfect picture of the good, good Father. That's what I think. So in that last song we sung, good job, you guys. It's about the good, good Father. So my hope for me is to be able to model being a good, good father. I really, I mean, that's my, and I screw up all the time, and I'm so lucky that my kids give me grace and mercy now, because hopefully I've modeled to them a little bit. My wife, of course, gives me so much grace and mercy, and, you know, we have our little things, and she has to give me a day or two to calm down, and then what do I do? I, I usually come back and go, I'm so sorry, I screwed up. I could never do that before. I would let it go weeks but now I can come back and apologize. I need to do it quicker. And we don't have as many issues as we used to have. And it's not, because, it's not because she's doing anything wrong. It's because of me and my knucklehead. I'm a knucklehead, like most guys, right? Um, and as I mentioned earlier, my, my, my relationship with my dad has gotten so much better. And I, I now try to... This is weird. I try to father my dad <laughs> somewhat because he just says crazy stuff, and I, I try not to get mad about it. He'll, I was out there this last time, and he said something that kind of got me dialed up. And I said, no, no, Dad, that's not true. And I did it in a loving, godly way. Amen. And I was like, wow. Because usually, I mean, usually we're doing this. Um, so I want to thank you all for being there. I hope that some of this resonates with some of you. I really do. Um, Hopefully the Red Bulls and the, you know, the shots of whatever I had worked espresso. Um, but let's eat. I want to pray first. You guys might pray for you. We're going to go eat. Father, I want to thank you for this message today. And I do hope and pray you reveal yourself to each person here and show them how much you love them and how much you open your arms to them. We love you and bless you for being the ultimate example of a father. You are a good, good father. Amen.